And when you remember that what we're doing in, in teaching or preaching is we're teaching people the Bible so that we can present every person complete in Christ, what we're, what we're then offering is we're offering the text and we're trying to set it down right in the midst of everyday life where people live so they can hear the text and see the text and experience the text and then live the text. That's what we're offering. That's what we're after as teachers and preachers of the word. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 257. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the voice you just heard is that of Dr. John Whitaker. And this is a recording of a talk that he gave in his hometown of Boise, Idaho, about homiletics, about the art and craft and skill of communicating Bible truth in a way that connects with actual listeners. We believe there's really two parts to sermon preparation and delivery. There's our personal study and our public proclamation of God's word. And this is all about that public proclamation. John believes that it isn't enough to just talk about truths from the Bible. It's we have to connect those with the hearts, minds, and lives of the people who are listening. And you'll want to listen up because in addition to decades of experience, he also has earned a doctorate in preaching from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He has uh, served as a professor of preaching and New Testament at Boise Bible College for 19 years. He's also served at Eternity Bible College and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, You might know him from his well-known podcast series or online resource called The Listener's Bible Commentary. Anyway, I could go on and on about his credentials, but I'm going to let the man speak for himself. Here is John Whitaker on teaching the Bible to real people. And so let me begin like this. In spite of everything we've said today, I I feel like I need to at least emphasize that our goal when we stand up to, to, to preach or to teach, our goal is not not simply to teach the Bible. And that may sound like contrary to what we've been saying, but work with me on this one, all right? Go with me. Our goal is not simply to teach the Bible. Let me put a passage on the screen for us to look at, and that passage is from Colossians chapter 128. It says this. This is Paul describing the focus of his ministry here at the end of Colossians chapter 1. He says, We proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. Notice the repetition of the word person. Like, Uh, We admonish every person. We teach every person so that we might present every person complete in Christ. That's Paul's goal. In fact, if you read the next verse, he says, "It's, it's according to the power of Christ within me, I labor and strive to this end. That's what he's after is this. His ultimate goal is to present every person complete in Christ. And so, um, next slide, our our goal is not to teach the Bible. What we do is we teach people the Bible. 
And that might seem like a very minor and subtle distinction, but it is a critical distinction. We don't just teach the Bible. We teach people the Bible, real people, living and dying people, like people with real challenges and struggles and questions and issues, right? That's, that's who we teach when we teach the Bible. We teach people the Bible. Uh, and you never know the people that you might have in front of you. You never know where they're at. Sitting over here a couple hours ago, I got a text from my wife. And the text said, Sam's baby died. She's delivering it tonight. Sam is my daughter's sister-in-law. Right? Like, that's a real person. You might have someone like that in front of you when you're teaching. You just never know, right? You never know who you're teaching. So our goal is not just to teach the Bible. We teach people the Bible. And when we forget that and we, we think our job is just to merely teach the Bible, then that totally affects how we, how we approach our teaching. So if we forget that we teach people the Bible and we think that uh, our, our goal is merely to teach the Bible, our sermon might sound a little something like this. Romans chapter 3. We're going through Romans 3 uh, in our, our sermon series right now, and we're preaching to the book of Romans. We left off in the middle of Romans 3, so we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 3, 23, and this is what it says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that word sinned there in verse 23, it, it, the, the, the Greek idea behind that is to miss the mark. Um, and so to sin is to miss the mark of what God wants for your life. And notice he also says that when you do that, you fall short of the glory of God. Now, scholars are a little bit divided on what the glory of God might be. Uh, some think the glory of God is God's very own glory. Some think it's the glory of being created in the image of God. Um, and when you sin, you fall short of that. Um, and so scholars are a bit divided. I personally think it's uh, the glory of being created in the image of God. The text goes on in verse 24 and says that um, we fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. There's some really important theological words there in verse 24. Uh, one of those words is justified. Justified is a legal term. And what that means is it, it kind of comes from the realm of the law court. And, and so it's the idea of a judge giving a verdict to somebody, either a guilty verdict or a not guilty verdict. And so uh, this would be saying that you're justified being declared not guilty uh, as a gift by his grace. And if you've been around the church very much, you probably know what grace means. It's God's undeserved favor. And so you're justified as a, a gift of his grace <clears throat> through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. And redemption is another one of those really big theological words. Um, if you read your, your Bible, you're going to come across it a lot. And it doesn't doesn't come from the law court, it actually comes from the marketplace. Um, because in the marketplace, there would be the slave auction, and a redemption had to do with redeeming a slave out of slavery, and that's important, and that's good. So uh, redemption pictures this idea of freedom from slavery. Now, the text goes on in verse 25 and says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. And notice propitiation. That's another really important theological word. What does the word propitiation mean? 
Well, the word propitiation has to do with some sort of offering to turn away anger. So what this is saying is that God displayed Jesus as an offering to turn away his anger. Now, we could keep working with the text, but what I did was tell you a bunch of true facts about the text. All of that was true. All of it was accurate, um, linguistically accurate, theologically accurate, right? My suspicion is it may not have resonated as much as it could have. And it didn't feel like it cohered. And, and the reason for that is something's missing. So what, what was missing in my quote-unquote exposition of these three verses out of Romans 3? What was missing? Well, what was missing was this. Uh, what was missing was a point and a purpose. That's what was missing. A point and a purpose. And when we forget that we teach people the Bible, that's oftentimes what's missing. Because we think what we're supposed to do is just get the biblical information out there. But when we remember that our goal is to teach every person and admonish every person, that we might present every person complete in Christ, then our goal becomes more than just getting some biblical information out there. Our goal becomes like, we want to help these people understand the Bible in the context of their own life so that they can actually live out the scriptures right where they live every day. And that's different than just knowing some Bible facts. Bible facts are nice. Living out the Bible is, is deeper and greater and richer, right? Wouldn't we all agree with that? And so we want to have a point and a purpose. And so if we have a point and a purpose when we teach Romans chapter 3, it might sound something a little bit more like this. When I first became a follower of Jesus, I wanted to please Jesus so bad. Uh, I, I recognized that he was my savior, and I loved him, and I didn't want to disappoint him, and I wanted to please him so bad that what happened was I found myself constantly striving to please him. And when I was doing good, I would pat myself on the back. And when I was doing poorly or I screwed up or sinned in some way that I knew I shouldn't have, I would beat myself up with sin and guilt. Anyone else ever feel that way in their pursuit of Jesus? Anyone else ever feel like they can never measure up and they're not good enough? Romans chapter 3 answers that. It speaks to that. It helps us understand What's the solution to beating yourself up with guilt and feelings of failure and not measuring up? Well, look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, all of us have. So if, if you feel like you, you don't measure up and you're not worthy and you're not good enough, guess what? You're not alone. The person sitting next to you is the same person. They don't measure up either person across the aisle, they don't measure up either. And guess what? The person on the stage, me, I don't measure up either. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all don't measure up to the standard that God had for us, but God solved that problem. And how did he solve that? Well, look at verse 24. Look what verse 24 says. All have sinned, all have fallen short, being justified as a gift. 
Like you're justified not by what you earn, not by how well you perform, not by what you've done. You're justified simply as a, what does he say? As a gift, as a present, like a sheer gift. And what does it mean to be justified? Well, justified means to be declared not guilty. Like there you were. You know you're guilty. You might even know like you're guilty as hell. But what did, what did the just judge of the universe do? Well, the just judge of the universe looked at you and he pounded down his gavel and he said, not guilty. That's what that word means. Not guilty. Not guilty. And, and you want to protest. You're like, but, but Lord, I am guilty. Right? Like, I am guilty. How in the world can a judge be just and declare you not guilty? Well, look what the rest of the text says. He, he justifies you as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, he declares you not guilty on the basis of something Jesus did, not on what you do. That Jesus offered his life as a redemption. What's redemption mean? Well, redemption means a payment of a price to set someone free. So you're justified. You're declared, you, like you get a favorable verdict before the judge of the universe because Jesus offered his life to pay the price so you could go free from the penalty and power of your sin. And that, my friends, is good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? And, and, and look what else he says. He says that you're declared not guilty through the redemption that's in Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a, here's a word we don't use every day, as a propitiation. Any of you husbands ever make your, your wife mad at you? Yeah. And, and you're at work and she's at home and you know you're coming home to maybe a wife that's less than happy with you, right? And you get this crazy idea, you think, I know she loves chocolate and I know she loves coffee. And so on your way home from work, what do you do? You swing by and pick her up some coffee and chocolate. And then you, you come to the door of the house, and you don't, you don't go in. You don't get out your keys. You knock on the door, and, and you knock on the door. You hear her coming, so you get down on your knee. And when she opens the door, what do you say? Oh, my love, I am so sorry for what I did. Please accept my propitiation. <laughs> you're, you're giving an offering, hopefully, to turn away her wrath. And that's what the word propitiation means. Now... That illustration's silly and simple, right? But this word is deep because God himself in the person of his son became a human being hung on a cross to offer himself to deal with the penalty of sin so that God doesn't just sweep your sins under the carpet. He doesn't just ignore your sins. He actually poured out his wrath on Jesus so that you could go free and now you could get the favorable verdict. And he did it all. Why? Because he's a God of grace. It's all by his grace. And so your relationship with God is completely safe and secure, not because of what you do, but because of God's grace and what he did in his grace through Jesus. It's the same text. It's the same text. A lot of the same information, but it feels different, doesn't it? Why? Because there was a point and a purpose. And when you remember that what we're doing in, in teaching or preaching is we're teaching people the Bible so that we can present every person complete in Christ, what we're, what we're then offering is we're offering the text and we're trying to set it down right in the midst of everyday life. 
where people live so they can hear the text and see the text and experience the text and then live the text. That's what we're off. That's what we're offering. That's what we're after as teachers and preachers of the word. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Let me just offer four, four stages, all right? Four stages uh, that, that can help us take everything we've heard today, pull it all together so we can actually teach people the Bible, all right? Four stages. First stage is this one. Identify the point. You have to have a point and a purpose. We've talked about this today, right? So you have to identify the point. What that means is you want to read down through the text, study through the text, look at your commentaries, look at the background, look at the words, pray through the text, meditate on the text, put the headphones on, listen to the text, immerse yourself in it until you can say, here's the point. Here's the point. I want to make sure I, I, I nail down this point. So here's the point. That's stage one. Identify the point. Stage two is clarify the purpose. Why does this point matter? I'm teaching people. So why do they need to hear this point? What do they need to acquire out of this point? How do they need to respond? What difference does this point make? Clarify that. Like, uh, and, and you do that, again, by praying through the text, meditating, and you've studied it, you've understood You say, I know what this text is pretty much about, but Lord, why do I need to teach this text to these people at this point in time? Help me. Give me some clarity on why this text with these people matters at this point in time. And so there's a lot of praying and meditating and thinking as you try to really zoom in on what, what you feel like God wants to achieve through this text to these people. So clarify that. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this message? In other words, if, if, this, if this message, if this sermon or this teaching were a success, like, what would happen? <laughs> How would people respond? What difference would it make? Like, right, like, Clarify that purpose. Then stage three is shape the message. This is where the outlining shows up. Shape the message is, let's figure out how we're going to organize it. How are we going to organize this message? Where are we going to begin? What's going to happen in the middle? How are we going to end? Shape that thing. Figure that out. Like, what's the best way I can figure out how to start? How do I want to navigate through the text and tour guide people through the text? Shape that. Figure that outlining thing out. That's where you do this. Notice you've already got your, your point and your purpose, right? That's, when I say identify the point, that's what Nick meant by the big idea. We're saying the same thing, different language, right? Uh, purposes, where are we aiming? What are we trying to achieve? Now, shape the message. That's outline it and figure out how you're going to organize all the parts. And again, as Nick pointed out, everyone's going to have kind of different approaches to that. Um, I tend to be sort of a, a visual thinker. So I think in chunks, not, not, not so much points, right? So I'll have, in my mind, I'll have like boxes, like on the screen, <laughs> boxes. And each box will have a point. It's essentially an outline, but it's a picture. My brain likes pictures, so I do it that way. Um, there's literally been times I typically have almost, I have little to no notes when I preach. I'll explain that in a second. But there's been times where it's like, okay, I, 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 need, I need some sort of guide with me up here. And I'll literally just take a, a piece of paper, make boxes, and just stick uh, the idea in each box and the transition sentence between them. And that's enough of a guide to get me through the sermon. So however it works for you, shape the message. And then stage four is communicate with the people. Because we don't just teach the Bible, we teach people the Bible. So now, once you have the message um, written out, filled out, and all that, right? Now it's time to stand and deliver. Deliver. 
Because a, a sermon or a teaching is not a written event. It's an oral event. It happens relationally in this dynamic, right? When we're in the room together and we're talking, that's what really happens. Um, I spend most of my time now sitting behind a microphone re- recording Bible teachings. That's what I, uh, the listener's commentary that Mike mentioned. That's where I spend most of my time, creating an audio commentary on the New Testament. I've got 16 New Testament books done. Uh, I've got the rest to do, hopefully, over the next few years. We'll get it all done, right? That's where I spend most of my time. Um, but guess what? I have faces of people in mind, even though I'm sitting at a microphone. Why? Because we teach people the Bible. We teach people the Bible. So now we got to communicate with people. That's why I think, by and large, it's better to have as as little of notes as possible with you. Why? Because at any moment, I could get out my phone, and, and I could show you pictures of my grandkids, and I could tell you about them. And I could tell you things they're doing, because I know them. I could pull up a picture and I could tell you the event about that picture and what happened, because I know them, right? And when I do that, what happens? You want to talk to me about your kids and other things too, right? Because we're real people. We're having this conversation. But, and you've probably been there in, in sermons or teachings or, you know, boardrooms where someone's reading their message to you. It's just not the same. It, it, it feels different. But when you can look somebody in the eye and you can actually talk to them, right? It's far more engaging. Um, what happens if I forget some of my material? They don't know. <laughs> they don't. Um, if you simply get up and, and you're teaching the text, so you're just walking down through the text, the text becomes your notes. It's guiding you through it, and you're pointing out things, and then you make the point, and you do it as best as you can for that purpose. Guess what happens? You communicated with people. An important point from a passage of the scriptures. Um, And studies have shown that when you actually have little notes when you're speaking, and you look people eyeball to eyeball, and you talk to them, they retain about 80% more of what you say. So, just stand and talk to people. Give them a message. Now, I took a B in art class as a sophomore in high school because I refused to give a two-minute oral presentation about a famous artist. No way I'm speaking in front of people. But the Lord had uh, other plans for me, right? So if a shy kid from a broken home who refused to talk in front of people for two minutes and was really willing to ruin his GPA over it, can stand and talk with people about important points from Scripture, my guess is you probably can too. You probably can too, right? So identify the point, clarify the purpose, shape the message, and then just stand and share that message to the best of your ability to the people in front of you and watch what God does as you do that. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that, John. And for those of you that are listening along, I bet you're thinking, man, I wish I could hear more from John Whitaker. Well, my friends, you're in for a treat because on our next episode, episode 258, there's kind of a follow-on interview that I did with him. And so I asked him, we kind of unpack more about this. We talk more about how every sermon should have a point and a purpose. And we also hear more of his backstory and how he's currently trying to grow and to improve. So in 
the show notes, there's going to be links to the Bible in Life book, the podcast that he's a part of, and more ways that you can continue to learn from John Whitaker. Hey, I hope you have a fruitful and a blessed 2023. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and I hope that this and all that we do help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. I'll see you next Tuesday.